Hello and welcome to the Language Revolution podcast. My name is Kate Hamilton. I'm a languages teacher and founder of Babel Babies. The aim of this podcast is to get people talking about talking. So without further ado, let's get started. Previously on the podcast, we have talked about how children learn to speak one or more languages and what parents and schools can do to support their language acquisition. It's something parents have little information about. We hear a lot about sleeping, eating and walking, but talking is a bit of a mystery subject. That is, until it goes wrong and parents seek advice from a speech pathologist. Today I'm talking to Veronica Ospolat, a speech and language therapist who specialises in bilingualism. She has carried out postgraduate research on language and cognition in bilingual children with autism and blogs about parenting, education and speech, language and bilingualism issues at Multicultural Motherhood. Hello Ronnie, thanks so much for joining me. Hello, thank you for having me. So Ronnie, first of all, let's clarify what constitutes a speech and language difficulty and like how many children have speech, language and communication needs? Well, um, speech and language difficulties can um, be a wide range of things really. So we have children who maybe are late talkers and um, they're not talking very much at the age that we expect. And then we have children who may have difficulties saying some speech sounds like um, I may say a lisp. So they have difficulty saying the sound or a cut and guh sound, for example. And then we also have children who stutter. Um, and we have children who have um, some kind of developmental or neurological condition, um, you know, things like that they're born with, like Down syndrome and autism. So really, um, when we're talking about speech and language difficulties, it can be a wide range of things. And quite a lot of children actually have a speech and language difficulty. We know that there are about one in five children who start school with speech, language and communication needs. Um, so it is, it, has some, it is something that's been growing in recent years. Um, and yeah, it does affect quite a lot of children these days. So what are the signs that would alert a parent to a child having a language delay or difficulty like this? Are there any milestones that parents should look out for, like speaking 50 words by a certain age, for example? Yeah, well, it's really important to um, know what the difference is between a speech delay and a language delay. And I think a lot of people often get these two terms mixed up. Um, So a speech delay is those children who are having difficulty saying some of the sounds that they need for speech, whereas a language delay is what we would also call a late talker. So when most people say speech delay, when most parents um, ask about it, what they really mean is a language delay. They really mean that their child is um, a late talker. So there are certain milestones that children have to go through um, when learning to talk. So, you know, when babies are born, they don't make many noises. You know, it's just kind of like digestive noises and, you know, all of those kind of little noises that they make. And then they start cooing and gooing at about eight weeks it's about when they start saying coo and goo noises and then they start babbling so they start by doing this repetitive babbling which is um saying repeating the same sound over and over again and then they move on to variegated babbling so that's when they start mixing the sounds together and then when they get to about a year old that's when they start to say their first word so quite often parents are quite worried about this um stage of you know the first word they often wonder you know when do the first words emerge and they may start to think 
you know, if their child is about 15 months and they haven't said their first word yet, they might get a bit concerned. Um, but normally um, it's when they get to about two years old that we really start to um, notice the difference between a child who has normal speech and language development and a child who is, is a late talker, who does have um, language delay. So what we normally say is, when a child is two years old, they will have between 50 and 200 words. So that's really the minimum. The minimum is about 50. So if your child has less than 50 words at the age of 24 months, then they may have a language delay. And then as they get older, you know, they get more and more vocabulary. So at two years, they will start to put two words together as well. That's one of the other language milestones for two-year-olds. And then when they're three years old, they will be putting three, four words together. Um, so that's how we look at it, really. We look at those language milestones milestones um, are the children meeting the language milestones at the age that they are if they're not then we start to think about do they have delay or do they have some kind of disorder or other conditions such as autism can you just clarify for me like a disorder is that one of the um is that where it's disrupted by a physical um impairment like being deaf or something well it's really um depends on the how delayed the child is if they're only slightly delayed then we may call it a delay and if it if they're more delayed then more, more than like six months behind it may be a disorder and there's all sorts of um, different disorders so children might have disorders with their speech sounds and they find it really really difficult to produce speech correctly so to put the sounds in the right orders and that would be more of a disorder so they're not just delayed slightly they're actually having a really big struggle and so that's really the difference or you know they may have something like autism which is um, a neurodevelopmental condition um, and that's actually something that they're born with so that wouldn't be so they can with autism children will some children will have a language delay so they will talk later and that is part of their the condition of autism for some children and then we have other children with autism who are non-verbal so they may not learn to say many words at all and they'll have to communicate in different ways so yeah it's quite complicated there's quite a lot of different things that speech and language therapists know about and um, have to assess children for. Okay thank you. If a parent thinks their child is behind with their speaking or they're just not communicating how they might expect at the age what should they do? Well, the first thing is if you have a young child, if they are a preschool or toddler age, um, then what you should do is you should contact your health visitor um, because health visitors are those professionals who are going to um, be looking at the overall development of a child before they start preschool or school. So that would really be the first step. Contact your health visitor and say that you have some sort of concerns. However, if you are concerned about something like autism, you can go straight to your GP and just say what your concerns are and ask to be referred to speech and language therapy and the other professionals that need to do assessments for children with autism. So, yeah, the first step is really contacting the health visitor and um, going to the GP. Okay. And if you are comparing your child to a friend's child, is that a silly thing to do? Because I hear a lot of conversations where children are being compared to each other. Well, I don't think it's a good idea really to compare children to each other. But, you know, you can compare your children to the developmental milestones. So if you want to know where your child is at, then you, you can go and look at a speech and language development chart or the milestone charts for motor skills or anything that you're worried about. They're really the best place to start. And then you can look at um, your child's age and then you can look across at all of the kind of 
skills that your child should have mastered by that age. I would say that's a lot better than comparing to other children because other children may not be following the normal stages of development. So if you compare it to another child who is, um, you know, a late talker, then you're not going to get a very good idea about where your child is at. You really should um, be comparing them more to the developmental milestone charts. That's brilliant. Thank you. And when should parents seek professional help? Well, I would say that if your child is two years old and they have less than 50 words, um, that would definitely be a red flag for me. So if they are not saying 50 words, if they're not starting to put two words together at the age of two, um, then I would request to have them refer to speech and language therapy. I mean, it may just be that they need a little bit of extra help, in which case, you know, go and get a speech and language assessment and maybe a bit of advice from a speech and language therapist or a block of therapy and they'll probably be fine. But there are are other children that need a little bit more help so it's always really good idea to have your child assessed by a professional to see what the difficulties are. Excellent thank you Ronnie and if you do get referred to speech and language therapists what does this therapy entail? Well first of all um, the speech and language therapist will do an assessment so depending on the child's difficulties, what the parent thinks the child difficulties are, the speech and language therapist will choose some assessments to do with the child and the The speech and language therapist will, first of all, try and get an idea of the child's difficulties through um, doing a case history with the parents and also just a bit of observation with the child, a bit of playing with the child just to see what needs to be assessed. And then there will be some more formal assessments. And after that, they'll grade the assessments, they'll take a look at the results and then they'll work out whether what kind of therapy the child needs, if any. Okay, lovely. And are there some really common concerns that parents have? other than just, you know, they haven't got, say, 50 words about age two? I would say another common area of concern is maybe around um, autism. You know, so if their child is having some difficulties interacting with, with others, maybe they're not making eye contact, or they're not very good at interacting with people, they're not playing with friends, they're not making friends. Um, Parents often have quite a lot of concerns about that as well. But, and the other thing is the speech sounds. Quite a lot of parents worry if their child doesn't say certain speech sounds. But the thing with speech sounds is that there's a stages of development for the different speech sounds as well. So, you know, at the age of two, children only have about eight speech sounds. So things like those kind of sounds. And so when children are very young, they often can sound quite unintelligible to others. So often you find that the parents understand what they're talking about, but other adults outside of the immediate family may have quite a lot of difficulty understanding them. And it's not because the child has any difficulties, it's just because they haven't acquired all of the speech sounds yet. So at the age of two, like I said, children only have about eight speech sounds. And then as they get older, they acquire more speech sounds and add more speech sounds to their repertoire. And then their speech starts to get more and more intelligible. And the other thing is children, very young children, they do a lot of things called um, they have a lot of speech sound processes so they do things like missing off the final consonant of the word or deleting a consonant of a word or something called fronting which is where the sounds at the back of the throat they make at the front so instead of saying key they might say t or instead of saying cats they might say tat so all of these things are actually normal parts of speech sound development so parents can get worried that their child is a bit difficult to understand but it's actually just that they haven't got to the stage where they've acquired all the speech sounds and then they're using all the speech sounds correctly in speech I think that's really reassuring because I've heard quite a lot of people worrying about their child has their own particular word 
for an object like a cat, for example, um, but it isn't actually the word for cat. And they're worried that it's, you know, not a normal phase of development, but it sounds like it is like a child might have a particular way. It's just these um, simplification processes that children do, you know, like, for example, banana, they might say nana. And it's just part of that process of acquiring all the speech sounds and being able to, you know, because it's quite difficult for a young child to say banana and have, you know, three syllables. So they often, you know, simplify it by missing out a, a syllable or repeating a sound. And it's just a normal part of development. Great. And if a child is doing that simplification, what would you recommend the parents do? Do they mirror that back or do they mirror back the full word? What should we do there? I would always say to model the correct language for your child. So if your child says nana, you can say yes, banana. Obviously, you don't try and make your child say the correct word. Um, it's just all about modeling the correct language to your child. Because, you know, if your child is at that stage of development where they cannot put three syllables together, you trying to force them to say it is not going to help. The main thing is that they've got lots of correct language input going in. They're hearing all of the right words. They're hearing all of the right sounds. And once they get to the stage of development where they can say it correctly, hopefully they're just going to say it. Brilliant. It's quite funny. I've got uh, three children, as we know, and um, they all said lello for yellow and effluent. And it's funny. I don't know whether they kind of passed it on down the three um, age groups or if they all independently came up with lello and effluent. But they're quite precious. I think Lelo is quite um, a common one, actually. And it's it's that, um, you know, syllable repetition. So obviously the yellow's got a L sound in the middle of it. So they've just repeated that and added it to the front. So Lelo. So it's that, um, it's consonant repetition. That's what that's called. But effluent, yeah, that's an interesting one. I do hear children say that as well. And it's just the fact that they've got some of you know, some of the consonant sounds the wrong way round. But, you know, it's just part of their, the process of learning. My five-year-old at the moment, he has quite a lot of difficulty saying flamingo. I can't remember what he says now, but it was quite funny. We went to um, Slimbridge Wetland Centre a few weeks ago and he was saying flamingo in a really odd way. Um, and it's just, you know, it's quite, it's just part of the development. So quite a lot of children, children will have difficulty saying s or r sound. The English r sound is actually one of the final sounds to be acquired. And you know, sometimes children don't get that sound correctly until they're like seven years old or eight years old. And parents can get really worried. I've had uh, parents contact me who've got, you know, two-year-olds that can't say a s sound properly. And I just have to say to them, look, it's fine. They're not at that stage of development yet where they're supposed to be saying it correctly. You just need to wait a little bit longer and they'll probably um, develop the correct sound soon. Excellent. Thank you. Are there any specific concerns for children who are learning two or more languages or do all of these speech and language difficulties affect all children? All speech and language difficulties will affect all children. It doesn't matter whether they're monolingual, bilingual, multilingual. Um, all children can develop you know some of these language delays speech and language delay and you know children from different cultures and different linguistic backgrounds could be born with autism or down syndrome you know being multilingual doesn't make it any more likely that your child will have one of these difficulties um it is a common myth that bilingual children are late talkers but it is just a myth and it's such a common myth i see it all of the time and it's really frustrating because bilingualism does not lead to a speech and language delay. We know that the maximum delay 
of a bilingual child is about two or three months. And when you think about it, with the variation of monolingual speech and language development, it really is not a significant delay at all. And we know that bilingual children, multilingual children, their language development falls within monolingual norms. So just because your child is um, bilingual, it doesn't mean they're going to be a late talker. And also, if a bilingual child has a language delay, we will actually see this delay across all of their languages. So they won't just have a delay in... So a Polish-English bilingual will not just have a delay in English, they will have the delay in Polish as well. And that's how we differentiate between whether a child is going through the normal process of language acquisition or whether they actually have a difficulty with acquiring language itself. Um, because, you know, a lot of children, when they um, speak a minority language at home, they don't start to learn English until they start preschool or school. So quite often their English is not that great at the beginning, obviously, because they've just come into contact with it and they're just starting to learn it. So sometimes parents can get really worried and think that their child has a delay. But what what we need to do is work out whether it is a delay or a disorder and we do that by seeing whether the difficulties lie in both languages or whether it just lies within English and if the delay is just in English then that's just part of their process of acquiring English as a second language and it doesn't mean that they have a delay, it doesn't mean that they have a particular difficulty in acquiring language. Okay so just to clarify then, we've said that parents should be looking out for about 50 words from their two-year-olds if you are raising a child with two languages, does that mean they've got 25 words in each language or is that too simple? Too simple? Yeah, that's correct. So basically the 50 word um, milestone, that's really the minimum. Quite a lot of children, even most average children will know a lot more words than that. But with bilingual children, you find that their vocabulary is split between the two languages or, you know, three or four if they're learning more than that so instead of saying you know they need 50 words in all of their languages we add up the vocabulary in each of their languages and use what we call their total vocabulary so they may have like 25 words in French 25 words in English or something like that and that's really really important because quite often um, parents can think their child has a language delay because they don't have the 50 words in English but they forget to add and take into account the minority language words that they know as well and it's really important that we do take the total vocabulary into account because we know that bilingual children will have a low vocabulary vocabulary in English and that's because their vocabulary is split between the two languages and you know even when children start school when they start to acquire English it takes them a year or two to actually get that conversational level of English anyway and then it takes even longer than that it takes five or seven years to get the academic level of English so it's always really important to um, work out their total vocabulary rather than just saying what is their amount of vocabulary they have in English. Is that quite common then that they'll get assessed just in English? Oh, yeah, I would say it's very, very, very common for um, children to be assessed just in English. And it's because of a number of reasons. You know, firstly, most speech and language therapists in England are actually monolingual. So they don't have a lot of knowledge about bilingualism themselves. Even, you know, at university, when we get trained to be speech and language therapists, we don't often have a lot of teaching about bilingualism. I think when I was at university, I had about one lecture, maybe two lectures in like three and a half years about bilingualism. So it's quite shocking, really, because there are so many bilingual children on our caseload. And, you know, for example, I... 
I studied in Leicester and Leicester has a very big bilingual multilingual population and I was often working with multilingual children but you know I didn't really have any training in it and my training basically came after I graduated because I went on to do some postgraduate research and that research really just made me aware of bilingualism and how to work with bilingual children but you know for the average speech and language therapists in the UK they don't have a lot of knowledge they are mainly monolingual so they don't have a lot of background knowledge or they don't really know much about it so they will quite often assess in just English and if they do assess in other languages as well they will mainly have to get interpreters which is completely normal and okay uh, but the other difficulty that they have is that there are not actually many assessments that are created for bilingual children so you know for example if you get a child who speaks English and Punjabi you may be able to find a Punjabi assessment and you can carry out that assessment using an interpreter but the problem is that that Punjabi assessment has actually been um, standardized for monolingual Punjabi speakers so you know that doesn't even give you an appropriate or accurate view on the child's difficulties because you know, monolingual assessments, whether they are English assessments or Punjabi assessment, if they're standardised to monolingual speakers of that language, it's not going to give you an accurate idea of bilingual speakers. And we know that bilingual children will often score lower in these assessments. So when we work with bilingual children, we actually can't just look at the scores on these standardised tests. We have to do a bit of informal assessment as well. And, you know, our own common sense about whether this score is because of a certain cultural because of their cultural and linguistic background or whether it is actually accurate and it comes back to the problem of seeing a bilingual as two monolinguals in one body doesn't it whereas actually there's a different trajectory of development yeah i mean absolutely i mean bilinguals are just not the same as two monolinguals are they and that's why it can be really difficult trying to assess them with these standardized tools because it just doesn't work Okay, Ronnie. So coming back to um, children who have an autism diagnosis, can a child with autism become bilingual? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the thing with autism is it's such a big spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, you have those children who are nonverbal, who cannot communicate um, using spoken language. Maybe they just have a few words um, and they have to communicate through pictures and things. And then on the other end, on the other extreme, you have these children who are very cognitively able. They are, you know, they may even be better at languages than you know, typical people. I mean, um, I've come across autistic people who maybe speak 20 languages. There's absolutely no reason why a child cannot be bilingual. You know, those high functioning, more cognitively able autistic people, they very often come from multilingual families and they can very often easily learn two or more languages. But for the ones on the other end of the spectrum, just because your child doesn't know how to speak just because they cannot speak doesn't mean that they can't understand and I think um, what parents often don't realize is the importance of you know social and emotional benefits of bilingualism Um, because it's not just about speaking to people there are a lot of things you know about social interaction and you know just the emotions you know the first language is said to be the language of the heart so you know if you're if you're telling a mother not to speak their first language to their autistic child that can have a really negative impact because we know that um, if you don't speak your first language to your child 
you know, you may speak to them less. Um, you may not um, create such a close bond with them. So I think people really need to understand that it's not all just about speaking. It's not even just about understanding. It's also about creating a bond and being able to be part of social interactions with the extended family, for example. There was a study on this uh, um, from a guy called Kremer Sadlik in 2005. And um, he actually looked at um, some, it was a family in America and they were Mandarin, the parents were Mandarin speakers. And he, what he found out was that the parents stopped speaking Mandarin to their autistic son, but they continued to speak Mandarin with their older, typically developing son. And what he found out was that the family, when the family talked to each other in Mandarin, the son with autism just completely disengaged and stared at the television. Um, and the parents reported that because their English was weak, they felt limited in their interactions with the son. And furthermore, the child lost valuable opportunities to engage in social interactions because of his lack of ability to speak Mandarin. Um, so we can see that, you know, if a child is not even at the, you know, doesn't even have the level of understanding, they're going to be missing out on a lot of social interactions with their family. And the thing with autism is children with autism, they do have impairments in social interaction. So we need to make sure that we are increasing their chances of social interaction and not decreasing their chances. So if you are um, not speaking your first language to your child and causing them to miss out on those social interactions, then that's going to be detrimental for them. And the other thing is it can even influence someone's identity because in the study that I just mentioned, the son who did not know any Mandarin, he actually declared that he was American and not Chinese, whereas the older son who did know Mandarin um, thought of himself as Chinese. So not speaking your first language to your autistic child can have so many detrimental effects. Another example, a friend of mine, she's um, from Somalia. She was told when her son was diagnosed, at, I think the age of three, she was told to just speak English to him. And so for years and years, she just spoke English to him. And then when he was a teenager, she realized that he actually really liked it when she spoke Somali, because obviously she would speak Somali to the other siblings. And she realized that she just missed out on all of these years of communication and creating a bond because she was told this misinformation from health professionals. So yeah, it just has some really, really detrimental effects. But we know that there are no problems with parents speaking um, more than one language to their autistic child. In fact, we think that it might it might be good thing because, you know, bilingualism has those benefits of increasing, you know, all of those cognitive benefits such as increased attention, increased inhibition, increased flexibility. And these are things that um, are difficult for people with um, autism. So, you know, they're not very flexible. Sometimes their attention wanders off. So we think that actually being bilingual might counteract these autistic tendencies actually and be quite beneficial for children with autism. That's absolutely fascinating. Thank you. So, Ronnie, there's a post that goes around social media occasionally, and it's warning parents about letting their children be labelled as EAL, English as an additional language. What is that post all about? Well, um, it's quite interesting, actually. I'm not an expert on EAL and what happens in schools. But um, what the post is basically saying is don't put down on the application form to the school that your child is EAL because then they will be classed as having a learning difficulty. And I think there is some truth in this because I have heard from schools that often 
children who are EAL, children who have just started school and don't have very much knowledge of English, they are often grouped with children who have special educational needs. And this is probably because the schools just don't know what to do with them. They're not able to access the learning, they're not able to access the curriculum because they don't have the vocabulary yet. Um, so what they do is they group these together with the children who have learning difficulties. But the problem with this is that the children with learning difficulties um, they may have speech and language issues themselves. So if um, an EAL child is grouped together with those kind of children, there's going to be less chance for the EA EAL child to learn good English because they'll be grouped with children who are not speaking English that well. And also the other problem is grouping the EAL child with um, a SEND child. It actually means that they're not going to be given work that's based on their cognitive ability. So they may be doing work that's way under their ability just because of the language differences. But, um, and you know, that may lead to them getting a bit bored and frustrated because they're not going to be having the level of work set that's the correct level for them. So I think there's a lot of issues about this, but you know, I don't think it's a good idea for parents to say that their child is not EAL when they actually are. What we really need to do is be raising awareness about what EAL actually means in schools and to teachers and having these conversations in order for them to understand what the difference is between newly acquiring English and, you know, what a speech language um, cognitive delay looks like and we need to be um, putting more support in place for children who are new to English um, to help them acquire the vocabulary they need to access learning rather than just um, grouping them with the children with learning difficulties. Thank you. And of course, EAL is such a broad label. A child could be a completely fluent English speaker and just happen to have a parent who speaks another language. So it's very misleading, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. I think there needs to be some raising awareness about what EAL means, um, the definition of it. And, you know, the realisation that it, it, it could be, as you say, one of the parents is EAL, but the children just know the child just knows English. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe um, there needs to be some kind of new term come up. I don't know. So, Ronnie, in different cultures, do we speak to our young children differently? Like, are there cultural differences in how we approach helping our children learn to speak? Yeah, well, this is actually quite an interesting topic and something which I have been learning about quite recently. But there are actually quite um, a lot of differences in how different cultures speak to their children. And it's, it's a term called language socialisation. And that's the idea that language and culture are interwoven in the upbringing of a child. So what we know is that who a children talks with, who talks to a child, what they talk about, when they talk about it, and what ways they talk about it. These kind of things can all differ across different cultures. So, you know, even in British culture, you know, children know that um, we have to wait our turn before speaking. So this is kind of a cultural thing that children have to acquire. So it's when we talk about language socialisation, it's not just about speaking the language, it's about how to use the language as well. And this can then affect, you know, the way parents speak to their children. So, for example, there was a study um, in 2002 that looked at um, Chinese Canadian mothers and mainstream Canadian mothers, mothers. So they were comparing the different ways in which these two groups of mothers talk to their children. And what they found was that the Chinese Canadian mothers actually focused on teaching rather than playing with their child. And they thought that teaching their child words was the best way for them to learn words rather than for them to just learn words through play. So that was quite interesting. And also they found that 
these Chinese Canadian mothers were less likely to prompt their children to tell them about non-shared events, um, you know, so things that they did at school. They were less likely to permit the intrusion of a child into adult conversation, particularly if the adults were not familiar. So there are lots of different ways in which parents communicate with their children and how how the language is used across different cultures. Another example is the Inuit people. Um, so they actually do not talk to children who are under the age of five. And that's because they believe that these children don't have reason. And it's a bit strange to talk to someone who is unreasonable. So that's quite interesting because, you know, we don't have the parents then communicating with the children. We just have children communicate with the children. And there are other um, instances, for example, there's, there was an interesting study in 2017 that looked into joint attention and word learning in a community in Nigeria called um, Nagas, Nagas speaking um, parents and children. And what they found was that um, parents don't really engage in dyadic conversation, dyadic interactions. And what I mean by that is, you know, a dyadic interaction is where a parent interacts, speaks directly with the child. So what they do is something called triadic interaction. And that means that so you have to imagine this. So the parent will have the baby or young child on their back, probably in some kind of sling or baby carrier. And then there'll be another adult talking to the baby. But instead of the baby, instead of the toddler responding to what the adult has said, the mother of the toddler will respond for them. So basically, the mother is speaking for the child rather than the child speaking to the adult. So there's So it's really, really interesting. And what this means is that speech and language therapists here in the UK, we actually have to think about all of these um, cultural differences in the way people are interacting and actually adapt our therapy and advice that we give to parents to take into account of these things. And this is something which is not probably widely done yet. And it's something that's it needs to be developed really but even um, apart from these differences in parent-child interaction there's if, even a lot of differences in the types of vocabulary that parents use with their children so for example uh, one study found that Italian children know more words for family members than um, British children there's other studies that have said that parents use a lot more verbs so I think it was Chinese and those that Nigerian community as well. Parents use a lot more verbs rather than nouns. So what that means is that children actually have more verbs as part of their early vocabulary rather than nouns. But we know that in England, um, parents are very good at highlighting the nouns in the vocabulary. They're very good at labelling objects when they're playing with children. But other cultures, they um, use more verbs when they're speaking to children. And, you know, some cultures even though they talk about objects, they will talk more about the object function rather than the object name. Um, so these can actually have quite a big effect when we assess children in terms of, you know, we're maybe looking at their expressive vocabulary and wondering why they don't have many nouns. It may be because they come from a linguistic background that, you know, places more emphasis on verbs at the early stages of development. So yeah, there's quite a lot of um, cultural differences that can affect the vocabulary that children will acquire and also how children interact with adults. It's absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much, Ronnie. If people would like to find out more about your work, where can they find you? 
Well, I have a blog called Multicultural Motherhood. Um, and there I just write about things like parenting, education and speech language and bilingualism issues. Um, I also have an Instagram account, which I'm quite active on. And that's um, the handle is at Multicultural Motherhood. The other thing is, if you are interested in um, more of discussions around speech and language and bilingualism, more of the kind of academic discussions, then I am active on Twitter at Multicultural Mum. Um, so yeah, they, they are the main places where you can um, come across um, what I'm doing and have a look at what I'm getting up to. But the other thing is I do actually have a number of speech and language courses, online courses that I have created for parents. So if you have um, a child who you think is a late talker or if you just want some ideas on how to prevent early language delay, then I have a course that will help you to do that. And I also have another course for parents of children with speech sound difficulties. Um, so if you are looking for some specific help with certain areas of your child's development um, then some of these courses might be helpful for you excellent thank you so much Ronnie it's been brilliant to chat to you thank you very much